How many are happy to be in the house of the Lord this morning? Can you say amen? amen? Good to see each and every one of you here today. And those of you who are joining us on our online campus, God bless each and every one of you. I can't see you, but I can imagine you. I know you're there. And uh, everyone who's going to be listening to this podcast throughout the week, uh, we're thankful that this podcast goes all over the world. We're thankful for each and every one of you as well. Father, today would you speak to us through the power of your word and spirit? Would you make known to us the good pleasure of your will, which you purchased, purposed in Christ when you raised him from the dead? Would you grant that your Holy Spirit would give us life today, give us understanding, and give us the will to respond to your word, that we might be doers of the word and not hearers only who deceive ourselves. We thank you for it, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. I want to talk to you this morning about two components of a mature faith in Christ. This is going to be somewhat of an evaluation tool that you can look at your life wherever you are in your journey with Christ and you can evaluate whether you're growing or not growing. We see these two strands, two calls, two invitations of Jesus throughout the Gospels that transpire over and over again. The first call or invitation is the invitation to believe in him. The second call or invitation is the invitation to follow him. So walking by the Sea of Galilee, he sees Simon and Andrew, and he says, come and follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. And then turning to James and John in the boat with their father Zebedee, he says, come and follow me. And they left their nets, and they came and followed him. But then in John chapter 3, he sits with this dude named Nicodemus, who's one of the rulers of the Pharisees, one of the Sanhedrin, a member of the Sanhedrin, the Jewish council, and he invites him repeatedly in that conversation to believe in me. And that famous passage, for God so loved the world that whosoever believeth in him, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. He invites Nicodemus, believe in me. He invites the disciples, follow me. Now, these two invitations of Jesus work together. He calls us all to believe in him and to follow him. And he calls us all to follow him and to believe in him. And which order that is, is different for different people. The disciples, he said, follow first, and then later he taught them to believe. At the wedding in Cana of Galilee, for instance, in John chapter 2, the scripture says that he turned the water to wine, and this was his first miracle, and by it he revealed his glory to his disciples, and his disciples believed in him. So they started believing in him after they answered the call to follow him. And then others started following him after they answered the call to believe in him. And you can look at your own life, and you can determine whether following Jesus came first or whether believing in Jesus came first. My wife has such a powerful testimony of her sister inviting her to begin to follow Jesus. She said, just do this time of devotion every night. She didn't challenge her to believe anything. She didn't challenge her to repent of anything. She didn't challenge her to change her lifestyle in any way. She just said, every night, read a chapter out of the Bible, do this entry in your journal, and just pray. 10, 15 minutes a night, that's all you need to do. Just start following him is basically what she said. And when my wife began to follow Jesus, suddenly she found herself believing in Jesus. And she found herself not only believing in Jesus, but walking away from everything that was antithetical to that faith. Yeah. 
Is it a little bit cold in here? Just, just a little bit? Could, uh, if Pastor Chenway or anybody's around who knows how to do that, could you just turn it up one degree? Thank you. <laughs> but here's the problem in our day and age. That we've got two groups of people. One group wants to follow without believing. And the other group wants to believe without following. The group that follows but does not believe, they're called the religious. And the group that believes but does not follow are the lawless. And this is the great dichotomy. That we have people who are still following... Still going to church every Sunday, saying their prayers, reading the Bible, interpreting the Bible, doing rigorous Bible study, abstaining from certain moral things, but have absolutely no faith or confidence in Jesus Christ himself. And you find yourselves walking through these religious motions simply because you feel obligated to do so. And religious obligation makes you a good Pharisee, not a good Christian. But there's no anticipation that God's going to actually do anything in your life or change anything in your life or show you favor or provide for you or bless you. You've lost all faith, all belief. You might subscribe to a certain list of doctrines of the historic Christian faith. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and in earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, crucified, dead, and buried. He ascended into heaven, or for he descended into hell. On the third day he arose again from the grave. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. You know, like, you can subscribe to all of those beliefs. And it means nothing if you don't believe that God is present in your life right now. Like if you look, and don't get me wrong, those beliefs are important. That was the Nicene Creed or the Apostles' Creed, which was a truncation of the Nicene Creed. All of those things are important. They are core to the essence of the Christian faith. And if you don't believe those things, you cannot rightly call yourself a Christian. Not in the historic sense, not in the biblical sense. However, when you look at the calls, the invitations to faith that Jesus issued, when he invited people to believe, it was almost always in the context of a miracle that needed to happen. He never invited people to believe in his theoretical divinity or in some list of doctrines. He goes to Bethany where Lazarus had been buried four days ago. And Martha comes out and says, Lord, if you were here, our brother would not have died. And he says, your brother will rise again. And she says, now she gives him the doctrines that she believes. Yes, I know he will rise again at the last day in the resurrection. And Jesus responds, I am the resurrection. I'm not asking you to believe in the last day. I'm asking you to believe in me. The last day is here. I am the resurrection. I am the last day. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he dies, he shall live. And he who believes in me and lives shall never die. Do you believe this? Do you believe that the resurrection is here right now? Not just that the resurrection will happen at the last day. Do you believe that the resurrection is here right now? He challenged her to believe in the power of his divine intervention in the moment of their crisis. 
Or what about the father whose son was epileptic and demon-possessed and the disciples couldn't cast the demon out and the man came to Jesus and said, Lord, I asked your disciples, but they couldn't cast the demon out. If you can, please help my son. And Jesus says, if I can? All things are possible to him who believes. Do you believe? And the man says, yes, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Jesus said, good enough. Cast the demon out of the boy. He wasn't asking him to believe in Jesus' theoretical authority over demons. Do you believe that the one with authority over demons is here right now? Jesus always challenged people to believe that he's here right now with the power that all of those doctrines imply. He's got all of that power in the here and the now. What about Jairus, the ruler of the synagogue? who comes to Jesus because his daughter is sick and he meets Jesus at the shore and says, please come, pray for my, lay hands on my daughter and she'll be well. And Jesus says, let's go, I'll go and heal her. But on the way, they're disrupted by the woman with the issue of blood. And to the man's great sorrow, Jesus stops to have this whole conversation. Who, which one of y'all touched me? And the disciples are like, Lord, everybody's touching you. And the man's like, everybody's touching you. Can we please hurry up before my daughter dies? No, one of y'all touched me. And then the woman comes and, she, and he goes through this whole conversation, go in peace, your faith has made you well. Listen to her whole confession and then, you know, singles are out in front of everybody. And then as soon as they start the journey again, people from the man's house show up and say, don't trouble the teacher anymore, your daughter's dead. Ignoring what they said, Jesus turned to the man and said, don't be afraid, just believe. Believe what? Believe in the theoretical uh, you know, last day, believe in the descent of Jesus, believe in the, the resurrection of the dead at the end of the, no, 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 believe that the resurrection and the life is here with you right now. Believe that there's nothing too difficult for the Lord and believe that the Lord is here when he invited people to believe. It was always in a right now God, in his right now power, in his right now intervention. And what happens when you've been walking with him for a certain number of years is you've experienced enough disappointment to stop believing. I'm still following, but I'm just not believing anymore. I'm still obeying, but I'm not believing. That makes you a good Pharisee. That makes you very religious. And what we don't realize is that the invitation of Scripture is not just to believe, but as Paul would say, to fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Fight the good fight of faith. What does that mean? That means that every devil in hell is arrayed against your faith. That if there's anything that the enemy desires to do, it is to destroy your faith. And he uses every trauma that you have experienced in your life to trigger unbelief in your heart, to separate you from your faith in Jesus Christ. And every trial that you walk through and every moment of adversity that you experience, the enemy's focus, the enemy's plan in that moment of adversity is to diminish and to destroy your faith and separate you from faith in the living God. And so that means that you've got to fight the good fight. Because, see, we don't understand. We see the invitation to believe yeah. 
as an invitation to believe in a, a list of doctrines. I still believe in Jesus. I believe he died on the cross. I believe he arose again from the dead on the third day. I believe he ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. I believe he's coming again to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the resurrection. I believe in the Holy Spirit, right? I believe, I believe in all of those things, but that's, yes, okay, yeah, even the demons believe and tremble. Do you know that the devil believes all those things? He knows them to be true. The devil, he's got perfect theology. He's just a liar. And he's constantly trying to convince you of the opposite of what is true. And he will use everything in your life. Everything in your life to separate you from the truth that he knows is true. Because he knows that if he can diminish your faith, he can diminish your walk. Because at the end of the day, you follow him because you believe in him. And you believe in him because you follow and if you grow in your faith in him, if you grow in your belief in him, you'll grow closer. You'll, you'll follow closer. Yeah. And if you follow closer, you'll grow in your faith. Yeah. You see, the disciples started by following, but the, more, the closer they followed, the more they believed. Yeah. And the more they believed, the closer they followed. And the closer they followed, the more they believed. And the more they believed, the closer they followed. But the only way for the disciples to continue to follow was they had to fight the good fight of faith. Because it's not always easy to believe. Now, 1 Peter, he gives us this passage in 1 Peter chapter 1. Praise be, 1 Peter 1, 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And he goes on to say, even though now for a little while, you may have had to suffer trials of many kinds. Trials, adversity, problems, calamity, grief, suffering. All of these things are incorporated in that concept of trials of many kinds. Various kinds of trials. Some of them are physical. Some of them are relational. Some of them are familial. Some of them are vocational. Some of them are financial. Some of them have to do with your health. Some of them are mental or emotional. Some of them have to do with your mind. Some of them have to do with your heart. Some of them have to do with lo their, your location, where you're going to live. There's various kinds of trials. You might have had to suffer. He starts by saying what's true. And what's true is God has given you new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. And it's reserved in heaven for you who through faith are being shielded until the coming of the last time. And in this you greatly rejoice, Peter says. But then there's another side to that reality, and that's that but, but you still have to suffer trials of various kinds. This thing is true, but holding on to that truth through the trial is where faith is built. This is the definition of the good fight of faith. It's clinging to the truth through the trial. Clinging to the truth through the trial. And, and in every trial, there are two agendas. The agenda of God and the agenda of Satan. The agenda of God is to strengthen your faith through the trial. The agenda of Satan is to destroy your faith through the trial. Because I could stand two people on this stage, one who fell away from the faith and one who became a great 
a great father, a mother of the faith, and tell them to tell their testimonies, and both will say that the reason I am where I am today was because of this trial that I went through in my life. The unbelieving person will say, I stopped believing because I went through this trial and I concluded that God can't be real. He must not love me because how could he allow me to go through this trial? And then the person who became a master of the faith will stand and say, it was through this trial that I truly learned how to believe. And Peter says it explicitly. You might have had to suffer through various trials, but these have come. What are these? These trials. They have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, though tested by fire, gold that perishes though refined by the fire, might be proved genuine. These trials have come so that your faith might be proved genuine and might result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. These trials have come to prove your faith genuine. God's agenda in the trial is to strengthen your faith, to increase your faith, to buttress your faith, to build up your faith, to magnify your faith. That's why the trial comes. And you have a decision to make in every trial. You're going to read a book, but you have to decide whose book you're going to read. Because there's two books being written when you walk through any trial. One is being written by Jesus and the other is being written by Satan. Because the Bible says that Satan is the author of confusion. Meaning when you're walking through a a trial, he starts writing a book about your life. And it's called confusion. Confusion. I'm going to write a book about the life of Robin. And Satan says, I'm titling it, Robin is Confused. Robin is so confused. He's not sure that God loves him. He's not sure that the promises are true. He's not sure if he's even saved. He's not sure if he's even in the faith or if the faith is even worth. And if Robin starts reading from that book, all of a sudden Robin is in a place where he's like, I don't know if I can even believe this stuff anymore. But Jesus is called the author and the finisher of your faith. And when you're walking through a trial, he also starts writing a book. It's called the faith of Robin. Robin believes. Even though Robin is tried, he's going to come out of this trial more pure than gold. Even though Robin is tested, I let him walk through the test because he's going to pass the test. Come on, somebody. And some of us even in this room and even watching online or even listening to this podcast are confused because we've been reading from the book of Satan instead of the book of Jesus. And reading from the book of Jesus does not provide you with certainty. It provides you with clarity. There is a distinction between clarity and certainty. What tends to happen is in the absence of certainty, our minds become vulnerable to the book of Satan that brings us directly from the lack of certainty to confusion. But clarity is something different. Let me tell you the difference between clarity and certainty. You get in the car, you go to your GPS, you put in the address, now you have certainty. You know exactly where you're going, and you know the path to get there. Did God give that to Abraham? Nope. 
He said, get up out of your father's house and go to the place that I will show you. When will you show me? When you get there. I'm not giving you no certainty, but I am giving you clarity. And here's all that God has to give you for you to have clarity. Go that way. What did God say? Go that way. Are you moving in the direction God told you to go? Yes, then you have clarity. The enemy comes and tries to bring you confusion. You don't know where you're going. How do you know if you're even going the right way? How long do you think you're going to be on it? God hasn't told you. Are you sure you know where you're going? Are you sure God, God told you to go this way? Like, the, like Satan the serpent did in the garden. Did God really say you shall surely die? You see what he tries to do? He tries to in, inject confusion into your walk of faith. Clarity doesn't mean I have the answers to every question. It simply means I've got the answer to the right question. Am I still following Jesus? That's the only question. Is he with me? If he's with me and I'm following him, I've got clarity. I've got clarity to know that I'm with him. That's all I need. Come on, somebody. Amen. Clarity causes faith to blossom in the absence of certainty. Did you hear that? Clarity causes faith to blossom in the absence of certainty. The problem is if you had certainty, you wouldn't need faith. How many of you need faith to follow GPS to, a, to an address that you put in? Oh, Lord, I'm believing you to get me there. No, you're not. You're just following the GPS. God refuses to give us certainty when he wants to grow our faith. To teach us to trust him to lead us. To trust him to lead us beyond our ability to follow him. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold of the eternal life to which you were called. And so he begins with his disciples, and he says, just follow me. I'll teach you to believe. Just follow me. But he says to Nicodemus, just believe in me. I'll teach you to follow. Just believe in me. And for some of you, one starting point is easier than the other. Whichever starting point makes more sense to you, use that starting point. Yeah. That's fine. If you feel like, man, I just, I just believe he's with me. I can believe that, but there's some stuff I can't seem to walk away from. You know what? Just keep believing him yeah. and trust him to lead you away from that stuff. Yeah. And others of you are like, man, it just makes sense to me to come to church on Sunday, but I'm just not so sure of how much of this stuff I believe. You know what? Just keep following him yeah. and just keep opening your heart to him. And he'll teach you to believe. But at the end of the day, regardless of the path that you take, the Spirit of God is always, always, always increasing our faith and drawing us closer so that we can not only believe but follow. And not only follow but believe. But here's what happens when you've been following him for a long time. My wife had this old truck, this old red truck. What kind of truck was it? Back in, an old Toyota truck back in the day. Before we were even dating, we were just friends. And I remember we were going somewhere together, and I didn't have a car, so we were going in her truck. And she asked me to drive, because she hates to drive. And I got in that truck, 
And as soon as we pulled out, we made a right turn. I hadn't turned the wheel. That's how bad the alignment was. It's like, oh, Lord. So the whole time we're, I'm driving on the freeway, but I'm pulling to the left to keep the car from going in a circle. What happens when you've been following the Lord for a long time is your alignment starts to get off and you don't even realize it. And, it, and all of a sudden, you're walking with Christ, but you start going in circles in certain areas. I'm still following him, but I'm just stuck in this loop and I'm going in circles and I don't even realize. Or I've just made a right turn. I don't even realize it because it's so subtle. She didn't even know. I said, do you know how bad your alignment is? She goes, no, I didn't know that. She was so used to driving a car in that condition that she thought that was normal. When I told her, you should be able to let go of the wheel and still go straight, she was baffled. <laughs> Mind blown. Do you realize that that's what the life of faith is supposed to be like? Like you should be able to let go of the wheel and still find yourself following Jesus. You should be able to autopilot your way but when there's something pulling you to the right yeah. or pulling you to the left yeah. and you constantly find yourself fighting the wheel to keep yourself moving straight yeah. and you veer off and you fight back and you veer off and you fight back and you veer off and you fight back and you're constantly fighting and constantly fighting and that gets tiring. Yeah. So tiring. And what God wants to do is straighten the alignment of your faith. Yes. Straighten out the alignment of your faith so that we can begin to say what the psalmist said. He said, my soul follows hard after you. Amen. And by the word hard, he didn't mean intensely, rigorously. You ever make a hard right turn? It's not an intense right turn. It's not like, right turn! No, it's just, it's, it's a very hard, it means close. The word hard literally in that context means close. When the psalmist said, my soul follows hard after you, what he meant was, I follow right behind you. Yeah, yeah. I don't allow distance between me and you. Yeah. You ever had somebody follow you but so far behind? <laughs> I had a friend, we were going somewhere, he's like, I'll follow you. And he said, uh, how long does it, does it take to get to where we're going? And I said, oh, it's about 40 minutes. He goes, no problem. It took us an hour and 20 minutes to get there. And the reason it took us an hour and 20 minutes to get there, because I'm going 65 on the freeway. I look in my rear view. He's way back there, way back there. So I slowed down to about 40, and I'm like hanging out like on the shoulder waiting for him. He catches up, and I take off. I'm going 55. He's way back. I mean, he drove, he drove like Joe Biden would drive. I mean, it was like... <laughs> A grandfather, it was like, sorry, that was a low blow. <laughs> if you want to get something done, that you hold near and dear. Anyway, um, <laughs> sorry, I know, forgive me, Lord. And then he got, we got to the place and he goes, you said it was only 40 minutes. That took us an hour and 20 minutes.
He wasn't thinking about following me at all. I had to do all of the thinking. I had to do all of the slowing down and pulling over to make sure he didn't lose me. He was off in his conversation with whoever was in his car and not even just, he just took for granted that I wouldn't go off without him. I should have left him. He would still be out on that highway right now trying to figure out where I was. <laughs> Here's the beautiful thing. The Lord will not leave you. But you sure could get places quicker if you were intentional about following him. Some of you, he just drove off and you're just, not even, you don't even know he drove off. Speed up! Catch up! You got to catch up to Jesus. You see, there's a lot of people following Jesus, but following him from so far behind that you can't hear a word he says. So many people ask me, how do you know that you can hear God's voice? Well, you got to walk close enough with him to hear his voice. If you can't hear his voice, maybe you're following too far behind. It doesn't mean you're not following him, but you're following so far behind that he's always speaking. He's always speaking. Get closer. You know what happens as you get closer? Your faith gets stronger. You know what happens as your faith gets stronger? Your walk gets closer. And you know what happens as your walk gets closer? Your faith gets stronger. And as your faith gets stronger, your walk gets closer. And as your walk gets closer, and there's this symbiotic relationship between following and faith, faith and following, between believing and following him. And you find that when your, your, your faith starts to veer off towards unbelief, ask stopping and saying, Lord, fix the alignment, the alignment of my heart. The Bible says to love the Lord your God with all of your mind and with all of your heart and with all of your soul, and with all of your strength, there's an alignment of the mind, and the heart, and the soul, and the strength. And when all of that is in alignment, it's so easy to follow him. But when one of them starts to veer off, and there's misalignment between your heart and your soul, and your soul wants to go left, and your mind wants to go right, and all of a sudden you feel like you're being torn apart, yeah. it's time to step back and say, Lord, fix the alignment of my heart and my soul, Lord, my heart knows that you love me, but my mind keeps telling me that you don't. My heart knows I can trust you, but my mind keeps saying, but what about this? Lord, help me to begin to read from the book of Jesus, who is the author and finisher of my faith, because his book will bring me back to the place of clarity. It won't answer all of my questions, but it'll answer the right question. See, sometimes I feel lost, but feeling lost is not the result of not knowing where I'm going. It's the result of not knowing who I'm going with. I'm never lost when I'm with him because he's never lost. I'm never lost when I'm with him. And if I lose sight of who I'm with, if I lose sight of who's leading me, if I lose sight of who I'm following, if I lose his, and I believe in him because I believe that he cannot fail to lead me to my destination. And this is what I was going to talk about last week with can the Bible be trusted. The Bible cannot fail to lead you to Jesus. If that's the reason why you go to the Bible is to find Jesus, the Bible can't fail to lead you. That's why it's infallible. Yeah. Yeah. And Jesus can't fail to lead you to springs of living water. Yeah. 
He can't fail to lead you into the fullness of the Father's will and the Father's purpose over your life. The Bible can't fail to lead you to Jesus, and Jesus can't fail to lead you to your destination. That's why the Bible says, whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son. And whom he predestined, he also called. And whom he called, he also justified. And whom he justified, he also glorified. All of that sounds complicated. It's simple. It simply means that the moment you've made a decision to trust and follow Jesus, it's done in heaven already. God said, it's already done. I can already see the end of this you're going to receive the end of your faith the salvation of your souls amen so this morning before the lord i'm inviting each and every one of us to evaluate where are you are you are you on a scale of one to ten how's your following going on a scale of one to ten how's your believing going have you experienced a decrease in your believing then let's get your alignment right because the only reason that my believing would begin to decrease is if my alignment's off and I'm being pulled to the right or to the left. Jesus has come today to realign our hearts and our minds and our souls so that our souls can follow hard after him. And he's going to lead us to streams of living water. He cannot fail. He cannot fail. And he will not fail. And he loves you. His love is sure. His love is true. And his power is real. And he's with us now. He's not just a God who was and who is to come, but he's a God who is, and he's with us now. And every promise in the book is mine. Every chapter, every verse, every line. I am standing on his word divine. Every promise in the book is mine. That's, we used to sing that when I was growing up. It was such a song of faith. Every promise in the book, but we also used to sing, just a closer walk with thee. Granted, Jesus, it's my plea. Daily walking close to thee. Let it be, dear Lord, let it be. I am weak, but thou art strong. Jesus, keep me from all wrong. I'll be satisfied as long as I walk. Let me walk close to thee. You put those songs together and you cannot be defeated. Every promise in the book is mine. Just a closer walk with thee. Every promise in the book is mine. Just a closer walk with thee granted Jesus. Father, I pray today in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that that would be the cry of our hearts. A closer walk and a stronger faith. A closer walk and a stronger faith. But Father, I pray that you'd help us to see that the way in which you answer that prayer is by allowing us to walk through trials. These trials have come so that our faith of greater worth than gold that perishes though refined by fire might be proved genuine and might result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Holy Spirit, I pray that we would not allow the enemy to interpret our trials for us. All of us go through trials, but the question is who do we allow to interpret our trials for us? I pray, Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we would no longer allow the enemy of our souls to be the interpreter of our trials that we would no longer allow the enemy of our souls to be the interpreter of our trials. But instead, we would open up the book of the author and the finisher of our faith, the lover of our souls. He is the only one who is qualified to be the interpreter of our trials. And Lord, you are the lover of our souls. And you would speak to us through every trial and say, these have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold that perishes, though refined by fire, that your faith might be proved genuine and result in praise, glory, and honor 
when Jesus Christ is revealed. Father, strengthen your people today through your word, by the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.